0: So let's read about how Jesus has the authority over spiritual forces as well. Luke chapter 8, verse 26 to 39. Please follow along as I read the word of God for us today. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command... "'begged him not to command them to part into the abyss. "'Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, "'and they begged him to let them enter these. "'So he gave them permission. "'Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, "'and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. "'When the herdsmen saw what had happened, "'they fled and told it in the city and in the country. "'Then people went out to see what had happened, "'and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone.' sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of God. Amen. Today we'll be covering Jesus' interaction with demons. In previous in the book of Luke, we did see how Jesus cast out demons. That was a fairly regular part of his ministry on earth. But there are rather short descriptions compared to the extensive narrative that we'll be reading, uh, looking at today. But before we continue on in our study, we need to do a check, quick check on our view of demons and spiritual activity in the spiritual world um, Before, uh, yeah, as we continue. So famous author and theologian C.S. Lewis had written, uh, written an interesting novel on demons and their purpose to ruin our lives. It's called The Screwtape Letters. It's a fictional novel uh, based on theology. Sound Theology, and it's made up of a series of fictional letters written by an experienced demon who writes to a younger, inexperienced demon, and all that the book is about is about strategies on how to tempt his human being to eternal condemnation. Well, in the end, they fail to do so, and uh, you can pick up the book if it interests you. But for our people to read this book with a proper perspective, C.S. Lewis Lewis wrote this as part of his preface in his book, and I thought it would be important. It's also applicable, important for us to understand as we uh, study our text for today. Quote, he says, quote, "...there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race, human beings, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The demons themselves are equally pleased by both errors." inhale, a materialist or a magician with the same delight, end quote. So what he's pointing out here is that there are, in this spectrum of people, there are people, on one hand, who do not believe that demons exist. They ignore the spiritual realm and this reality, and they only believe in the material world, the natural world that they can see. And demons, he says, actually delight in this because they actually do exist, and they are actively at work against the cause of Christ in our world. They are the cosmic powers over darkness and the spiritual forces of evil that scripture talks about. So if people deny their existence, the demons are pleased so that they can freely act upon their human targets and victims. And so are demons real? Yes, they are. But on the other hand, there are people who believe in demons and in the spiritual realm, but perhaps give too much interest or even too much power than the demons actually have. And the demons are also pleased by this error because as people entertain their minds, even worrying about or are blaming every single bad thing in their life to demonic activity, uh, they're pleased because superstitions and belief in things like black magic can easily paralyze someone in fear, hindering them from faith in the greater spiritual power and authority that is over all of the world. So do demons have significant spiritual power and influence in our lives? Yes, they do. But their power and authority are significantly limited compared to that of Jesus Christ. So it would be very wise for us to learn about the spiritual realm from God's word. Not from horror movies, not from superstitious tales, not from myths, but from the source of truth in God's word. We'll see in today's text that while Jesus alone is the greatest power and authority, we'll also see how Jesus uses his power and authority to seek out those who are spiritually lost, to free the souls who are enslaved by sin and, and, and heading for death, eternal death. And for those who believe in Jesus, who believe this in his power and his authority, we'll see one significant way that we can respond to this truth. So the one thing for us today is this, respond to Jesus' saving power and sovereign authority by proclaiming, see how much Jesus has done for me. We'll look at Luke 8, verses 26 to 39, in three parts, looking at first two wrong responses to Jesus and one right response. So first, the army of of demons and how they responded with defiance against Jesus, verses 26 to 33. Second, the witnesses, the people, the eyewitnesses, who responded with dread of Jesus, verses 34, 37. And number, and thirdly, the restored man who responded with deep desire for Jesus, verses 38 to 39. Could you bow your heads with me one more time as I pray for the preaching of the word today, Heavenly Father. Now that our ears have been prepped to study your word and and tackle this particular topic that is so mysterious and yet so real, Lord, we pray that our hearts will be open, attentive, and to learn from you and from your word today. Lord, there might be some of us who disbelieve in this, any of this, and all the more as we go to God's word, may they come to see. Lord, that truly there is a, this, this spiritual battle happening in our lives, but all the more for those of us who may be giving and granting too much power, more than this, that, that the losing side has, Lord, we pray that we'll find great hope and joy and thanksgiving in you, Jesus Christ who is, and and, and to thank you for your saving power and your sovereign authority over our lives and over all the world. So may it impact, Lord, how we live for you, how we respond to you today and this week. We love you, Lord. Please guide us at this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first part, the army of demons who responded with defiance against Jesus. There are some few initial uh, details that we do need to address. Because as we read these verses, and I was reading the scripture for us today, uh, we might have realized that Luke does not present all the details in chronological order. And he's using that as a, as a specific manner to, to highlight the various details that he wants to. And so chronologically speaking, there was a man from the city who had demons, who was seriously, uh, severely oppressed. He was an outcast of society. And then Jesus arrived. And then that man confronted Jesus. And then Jesus commanded demons to come out of the man. And there was a moment of defiance where the demons were resisting to obey, but they finally come out of the man and entered into the herd of pigs. So that's, uh, that's the chronological framework that we can keep in mind as we go through these various details. Also, we have to realize that it is difficult to understand the very nature of these demons. Even to try to understand a simple thing like how many demons are there exactly? Luke goes back and forth from the plural to singular, plural demons, verse 27, singular, unclean spirit, and then back to verse 30, plural, many demons, and on top of that, at an initial glance of this text, it's also difficult initially uh, to figure out who exactly is Jesus speaking with? Is it the man, or is it the demons? And it just goes to show that as we're trying to understand the spiritual realm, it is not simple. It is not straightforward. Um, And all the more, we want to take in God's Word and be guided in His Word to know just what we need to know regarding the spiritual realm. And we'll consider some of these questions as we move along. And lastly... Particularly this event with the demoniac, this demon-possessed man, is also written in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark. And so as necessary, I'll include some of those details from Matthew and Mark that they focus on that are not in this Luke account to help us better understand what is going on here. So verse 26 says this, Then they, Jesus and his disciples, sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. So if you take a look at this map, you'll see the region of Galilee toward the left on the top part, so the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, also referred to as the lake uh, in in the gospel here. But Jesus and his disciples sailed to the opposite side of Galilee toward the southeast side of the sea. This was a predominantly Gentile area or a non-Jewish area, which is seen by how there are people actually farming pigs in this region. And pigs, as we know, are considered unclean animals, according to the Jews. And on top of that, because Jews do not regularly interact with Gentiles, let alone plan to enter a Gentile region, Luke starts this narrative hinting that Jesus had a plan to to meet this particular man even before he got into the boat with his disciples. So we'll see in verse, we see in verses 27 to 29 that Jesus' plan indeed was to meet this man, this de- demon-possessed man from the city who had demons. According to Scripture, we know that demons are evil spiritual beings, and they are the servants of Satan, as Satan is referred to as the prince of demons. So as, there, as his servants, demons carry out the purposes of Satan. And with Satan, Satan and demons, they stand against God's purposes, and against God's people. In the Gospels, in the book of Acts, we see demons directly tormenting people, causing them to suffer in a variety of ways. It could be physical conditions like blindness or muteness or even seizures. It could also be behavioral, causing self-destructive or isolating, self-isolating behaviors. In our example here with this man, the demons are responsible for causing this man a terrible life. This man is influenced in a way that he just does not follow uh, behavioral behavioral norms. He doesn't wear clothes, and he lives among the tombs. These isolating behaviors cause him to be an outcast of his own people. So if he was not among among the, the graves and the tombs, he was put in prison. But then the demons would give this man supernatural strength to break out of his chains, causing fear among his own, even greater fear among his own people, and then only to lead him into the desert. So this man, physically, emotionally, socially, tormented. We also see from later on in verse 35, there's a mental aspect to the demon's torment, causing the man to be insane. And so here, as we see this man, we see also that demons affect people's spiritual condition as they're called here, unclean spirits. They are unclean spirits contaminating God's creation with their evil. And as they are unfit to be in God's presence, they also promote evil through deception, through lies, through and encouraging wickedness in people in order to also keep people from God's presence. So when Jesus came as a son of God, Who came, he came making a way for people to be forgiven of their sins, to be saved from their evil and their wickedness, to be saved into God's presence. And so, therefore, Satan and his demons seem to have increased their efforts throughout the time of Jesus' ministry on earth. They were doing whatever they can against Jesus and his ministry. To be clear, I just want us to be careful not to jump to conclusions that demons are simply the cause of every specific bad thing or bad behavior or bad situation or even a certain sin in our lives. That would be overly simplistic and outright wrong because if we just blame demons for certain situations in our lives, uh, it would be wrong because, in fact, we might be responsible for it. Whenever we're tempted, we cannot just blame it on the demons and, and say that Satan is, is because Satan is tempting us, it's all his fault. Though evil spirits are involved and their influence is affecting us in various ways, we are still responsible for our sin. It would be wrong for me to blame my, my sin, my anger on Satan and demons and relieve myself of any guilt of sin. When I am actually sinning against God when in my heart, when my life does not go my way, or when my children don't listen to my commands, it would be much easier to blame Satan that he's turning my kids into little demons, and this is all his fault that I'm losing my temper. Much easier, but also very wrong. Also, Scripture doesn't say and, or even assume that every person influenced by a demon will act exactly like this man. Demonic activity is not only through demon possession, It's just one of the methods where evil forces of Satan attempt to keep people from the truth of God, the truth that it could actually set them free. There's a complexity here, how demons affect and influence human beings, and therefore we should not try to oversimplify it. Here we see the demons. As we see the demons here, uh, knowing that they're working hard, strategizing their attempts to hinder God's plan and purposes, it's no surprise that demons know very precisely who Jesus is and what he can do. They seem to have one eye on the lookout for Jesus because as Jesus stepped off the boat, it was the demons that confronted Jesus. But it is ironic that as they approach Jesus, they kneel down before him. They know that Jesus is a greater authority over them, and even over their ruler, Satan. And this kneeling is a posture that looks like submission, but we can hear their defiance. They came screaming out to Jesus, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? They're saying... What do you want with us? What are you doing here, Jesus? Why are you here? We have nothing to do with you, and you have nothing to do with us. The arrogance, the disrespect in their demeanor. These demons have a right knowledge of Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he is the greatest authority and power in the spiritual realm, yet they resist to obey Jesus as he commanded them to come out of the man in this moment of defiance, is captured in their request. I beg you, do not torment me. Saying that to Jesus. Lord over the heavens and the earth, do not torment me. There's a lot going on here, but two truths I just want to narrow in on from Jesus' interaction with these demons. First is a great encouragement for us, so I'll start with that. But the second is a grave warning for us. The great encouragement here is that Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is the greatest power and authority over all the world, over the natural material world that we can see and interact with, as as well as in the spiritual realm. Over all things, Jesus is sovereign. Even over these demons who have such a strong hold on this man, who are capable of such great physical strength, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how strong they are. It doesn't matter how many they are. Jesus is the Son of the Most High God, greater than they. And we do not need to fear such dark, evil spirits. No matter how mysteriously they work and how they influence us, no matter how deceptive or how powerful, how oppressive they might be, ultimately, they cannot even do anything other than to submit to the commands of Christ. Our hope in Christ, therefore, can drive away any of our fears, all of our fears, including any fears of the dark forces of evil and sin and Satan. So I hope we find great encouragement in that truth that Jesus is sovereign. The grave warning for us, though, is that we must absolutely be aware of any defiance that we may have in our hearts against Jesus. Any resistance to obey the commands of Jesus Christ. This indeed is one of Satan and demons' tactics, to tempt us to be just like they are, to be defiant and disobedient to Christ, just like they are. But their tactics are usually not obvious for us. As we know, the strategy of Satan is just a simple lie and how good he is at subtle deception. He can influence our desires to disobey and we can somehow mistakenly think that we are obeying Jesus not even realize the many other areas of life where we are choosing to disobey. Therefore, this is a serious warning, especially for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ who say, who, who know Jesus' identity, just like the demons do, who have trusted and, and, and chosen to submit to Jesus' commands. It will take great care and evaluation of our hearts to see how we may be defying and resisting to obey Jesus. We can start by checking the areas of lives, of our lives and the desi- checking the desires of our hearts that we have not fully surrendered to him. Because we might not yell out to Jesus, I have nothing to do with you. But there are, and there may be, areas of our lives that actually have nothing to do with Jesus. Because we made it that way. For some of us, Jesus has everything to do with our church life. As we spend time in the Word, as we pray, hang out with one another in the church. But for some... Jesus seems to have nothing to do with the area of dating and relationships in our lives. Everything that Jesus teaches us goes out the window. For others, it may be our work and careers that we have been separating from Jesus. We have our church life. We have our church service and and our responsibilities. But this is my work. This is my career This will not be easy as we allow the Holy Spirit to bring that attention to such areas of our lives, such desires of our hearts that we have not yet fully surrendered and submitted to Christ. But it's worth asking, are there areas of my life where I want nothing to do with Jesus? I don't agree with what he says about this area. I think I know enough or I'm experienced enough to make good decisions apart from Christ here. May the Holy Spirit open our eyes to see that Christ alone is sovereign. He is the one worthy of our submission and our surrender. And he is worthy of our whole lives as we give it, our whole lives and our whole hearts to him. We see this more on why Jesus is worthy. In the next verse, it says in verse 30, Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. Um, <clears throat> I took a long time trying to understand what was going on in this verse, and first we have to be careful not to, think of, uh, not to quickly think about what we have seen in movies or heard about in uh, various exorcisms, because it's often said that we need to know the name of a demon in order to cast it out. But even though that would make a really dramatic and compelling scene, perhaps in a movie, that's not what's going on here something more dramatic, something more compelling is happening. Because when Jesus asked the man, what is your name? I see it as the man could not answer. The demons answered on his behalf, showing how severe the demon's oppression and enslavement of this man was. I believe that Jesus desired to know the man's name, showing his desire to know the man personally in order to have a personal relationship with him. But he was so oppressed that the demons would answer on their behalf to say legion, pointing to just how many demons possibly could have been in this man, up to thousands. And so Jesus now would make it possible for this man to be in a relationship with him by freeing the man from these demons. While demons use their power to steal, kill, and destroy life, Jesus uses his power and authority to give life. That's why he's trustworthy. That's why he's worthy of our lives. And Jesus intentionally seeks out the lost, the broken, the outcast, in order to save them from sin, save them from evil, and and bring them out from darkness into his marvelous light. Let's just backtrack for a moment to realize what Jesus did to seek out this man. And to save him, Jesus would sail through a storm. Jesus would enter into unclean places where nobody else would. Jesus would overpower unclean spirits. Also, that hopeless and helpless people like us, sinners who are undeserving of his care and attention, could know him, could be saved, could be in a personal, intimate relationship with Christ. This is why Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of our submission. He's worthy of our surrender because he pursues us. At all costs, he pursues us in his love and compassion for us. He did not need to, yet he does. He pursues us in all of his power and his authority. But also he pursued us by surrendering his rights as God, by submitting to the Father's will. He would go through his own terrible storm Willingly enter into the torment and torture on the cross so that we could be saved from eternal torment and suffering under God's wrath that we rightfully deserve. Also, that by faith in Christ, we could have eternal life, hope, and life in Him. Therefore, we must understand our submission, our surrender to Jesus is not out of obligation something we have to do, as if we have to do this to gain salvation. No, Jesus pursued us while we were still dead in our sins, Scripture says. While we were still defiant enemies of God, Jesus pursued us. So we can trust and all the more submit, surrender all of our lives, all of our hearts to him as we realize what he has already done for us. Our submission, our surrender is a response to this good news. And therefore something that we should gladly and joyfully do. Now, until the day that Jesus returns to take us home. Let me explain more of this in verses 31 to 33. It says this. They begged him not to, they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. <clears throat> there are probably a lot of questions here about the pigs, but I hope that you'll have some fruitful discussions in life group about this. I can't cover everything here. And even many commentators provide some possibilities, but there is no definitive answer. So all the more, it makes for a lively discussion during Bible study. And this might be just another question that we reserve for heaven when we can ask Jesus face to face. But just to briefly touch upon this, I believe the pigs have to do with something, something to do with Jesus' value statement. This could be somewhere around 2,000 pigs, according to the Gospel of Mark. And many who love pigs, pork... Like the rest of the people here, probably in Gerasenes, will probably think it's a waste. But all the more, Jesus was showing that saving this one man's soul was much more valuable than any number, any thousands of pigs. And again, in his sovereignty, he will allow evil to exist temporarily in giving such permission to these demons. And this part is what I want to hone in on. This is what I want to explain. In his sovereignty, he will allow evil to exist temporarily before he returns. This is related to the abyss that the demons seem to hate so much. In their defiance, the demons beg Jesus not to command them into the abyss. The abyss literally means a watery, bottomless pit. And it, can refer to, it refers to a place of captivity for demons. According to scripture, evil spirits will be kept there in chains, in the abyss until judgment day when Jesus returns. And on that day, Satan's head will be crushed. And along with him, all his demons will be defeated once and for all. To be clear, Jesus is sinless, perfect, and holy as God the Son. He is not evil, and he does not support the cause of evil. But as He is sovereign, He is able to redeem even the greatest evil for good. We know this is true because we just need to look at the cross upon where Jesus died. The greatest evil and the greatest injustice was committed against Jesus. Yet, He redeemed even that, the cross, for the very people who put Christ there, us, our sins that nailed Him to that tree, He can redeem in his sovereignty, he can redeem even the greatest evil for good. So Jesus' permission for these demons to enter the pigs and then the pigs dying on a grand scale proves that Jesus is sovereign over evil. Because even evil needs his permission to operate in our world. Satan and demons are not on equal power with Christ. Not even close. And this points us to take hope in the promise that Jesus will return one day and restore all creation in the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no more sin, no more evil. And for all who have faith in Christ, who hope in Christ, who, who in response to his sovereignty, a so, saving power and sovereign authority, surrender their lives to Christ, we will receive new resurrection bodies. To reign with Christ eternally. So we can personally trust in the saving power and sovereign authority of Jesus Christ. This is the reason, our motivation to give our lives wholly, freely, completely to Him. Unlike these demons who have nothing to do with Jesus. They responded to Jesus' power, authority, and defiance. May we not be marked by such defiance ourselves. So next, look. Let's look at the people's response here. The eyewitnesses who responded with dread of Jesus. Verse thirty-four says, uh, thirty-seven says this: When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. The pe- then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. There were many eyewitnesses here to Jesus' power and authority. The herdsmen who just saw all of their pigs suddenly run off and drown in the lake. Everyone else who had heard the report from the herdsmen came and saw Jesus and saw this man, they saw this once demon-possessed man completely transformed. He was no longer wandering among the tombs, but now sitting at Jesus' feet, which was a posture of a disciple learning from his teacher and marked their intimate relationship. He was no longer naked, but clothed. He was no longer acting insane, but now in his right mind. All of them, from the city and the country, saw and heard how the man was healed and how he was set free from his torment. So there was a great reason to celebrate. Great reason to celebrate uh, what has happened to this man and celebrate the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, their great liberator. But sadly, that was not their response. What did they do instead? They asked Jesus, To go away. In fear, they asked Jesus to depart from them. It's hard to imagine why they would do just such such a thing. But as Luke emphasizes how afraid, how fearful they were, I think their fear helps us to understand what's going on in their minds. When the disciples saw Jesus calm the storm... In verse 25, earlier in, in, in Luke chapter 8, we saw how fear of Jesus could lead one to marvel and wonder at who Jesus is. That's one kind of fear that draws someone closer to Jesus. But here, the fear, we see that fear could also push someone away from Jesus. And this is the kind of fear where people, uh, people feel, where they are threatened by someone, something greater, stronger than them. This kind of fear is dread. It causes us to avoid and separate ourselves from whatever or whoever it is we fear, whoever it is we dread. So as all, so as all the people here saw what happened, saw Jesus, saw the man, probably saw a lake full of their dead pigs, they seemed to have come to a conclusion as the pigs were a source of their income for food and and probably and, and, and for their community, probably a source of their stability, they fearfully seemed to see Jesus as a threat to their lives. And they wanted nothing to do with him. A threat to their society, a threat to their security. And a heart that is unwilling to submit to Jesus, as we see here, ultimately will reject him. Unwilling to to approach and draw near to the authority and the power of Jesus Christ that he, puts, he displays for us, that he reveals to us, a heart that is unwilling to submit in response to him, dreading Jesus, will ultimately reject him. And they missed this amazing opportunity to know Jesus personally, to know for themselves his saving power and his sovereign authority They missed out on receiving Jesus' loving pursuit of them. And they missed out on living life truly in the power of God. The people's rejection shows us two realities. First, it shows us how impossible it is for anyone to submit to Jesus left to themselves. Without faith in Jesus Christ... It is impossible for anyone, without the work of of God upon our hearts, it's impossible for anyone to submit to Jesus. Even when people witness here with their very own eyes how sovereign he is, how powerfully he can save a life, we see that just because they saw did not guarantee them believing. Their seeing did not guarantee them submitting to Christ. And the reality is a sinful heart can be that hardened and that stubborn. It's only by the grace of God and the power of God that a heart, a human heart, can be softened. Spiritual eyes and ears could be open to know God. And so we must realize all the more how Jesus, how powerful Jesus is. How powerful he is to say, change such a wicked and evil, stubborn and hardened heart. As we trust Jesus, who alone is our Savior, our liberator, all the more we must respond, be filled with gratitude for our salvation, every waking moment of our lives. Our salvation is not something that we take for granted. If we realize how hardened our hearts once were, how evil and how wicked we were, and how great the power of God, how great the love of Christ is, we can all the more have a growing gratitude enjoy in our salvation even as we surrender our lives to him second the people's fearful rejection of jesus shows us how easily people reject jesus when they see him as a threat to our lives and to our desires to our plans to our security to our stability to our own kingdoms as soon as jesus becomes a threat his His what he does, his power, his commands, a threat to our comfort, a threat to how we want to live our lives. It is so easy for people to reject Jesus. This is why we must understand from the very beginning that the call to follow Jesus Christ is a call to give up our entire being, not just the parts of our lives where we think we just need some extra help from Jesus. No, because all of our lives, is in need of Christ, in need of redemption. From the very beginning, we have to understand a call to, a, call, it's it, a call to follow Christ is a call to carry our cross daily, a call to deny ourselves and surrender our desires for as long as we follow him as his disciple. If we try to follow Jesus in our own ways, we'll be disappointed. If we try to find stability, security in any other source, we'll be disappointed the sad but serious reality is that when we continue to reject Jesus asking him to go away, separating him from certain areas of our lives asking him to depart from us there might come a time when he actually does and that will be the greatest disappointment especially if people who have witnessed Jesus' power Saw his great authority, the greatness of his love, and still end up departing from Christ. May we never see Jesus as a threat to our own little kingdoms. But as, as, he, as we see his love, as we see his power, what he has accomplished for us, may we willingly, joyfully surrender our lives to him, keeping our eyes fixed on the cross, see our Savior worthy of our submission. This will be very difficult, this call to follow Jesus this way. But thankfully, we have one another in this process, and we must include these reminders in our efforts to disciple one another, especially as we're encouraging our church members to formal discipleship relationships that we call LCGs or life change groups. We desire every single one one of us to strive toward such relationships, helping one another carry their cross, deny themselves, and follow Jesus daily. These relationships are to be marked by care. Yes, we care for one another with the love that we receive from Christ. These relationships are to be marked with commitment. Yes, we are committed to one another's spiritual growth, discipling one another, sacrificing even our own energy, time, resources as necessary. But we also want these relationships to be marked with challenge, striving to challenge one another, speaking the truth in love so that we remember the great cost of following Jesus Christ. Together, supporting, encouraging each other to live wholeheartedly, to surrender all the areas of our hearts, all of our desires, all of our lives to him. And as we do, may we together learn to gladly count the cost of following Christ as we see that such costs are light compared to, in light of Jesus' cost, how he paid the cost to die on the cross for our sins, paying for our ransom, paying for our salvation. So we saw how the demons responded in defiance and how the eyewitnesses responded with dread. Now we'll see how we should respond to Jesus, to his power and his sovereignty. Verses 38, 39, we see the restored man responded with deep desire for him, for Jesus. It says this, <clears throat> The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus Had done for him. This great event of this man's healing, freedom, and acceptance ends with a strange conclusion. It's natural to see that this man desires to be at Jesus' feet, to follow him. He begs Jesus to be with him, to be his disciple, but Jesus sends him away. And instead, he commissions the man with a very difficult task. And so here we see an example now of what a proper response and true submission to Jesus' power and authority looks like. Because even when this man could not get what he wanted, he obeyed Jesus at his word. He obeyed Jesus in his command. And I know this is out of love for Jesus. The, The very desire, the very same love this man had to be with Jesus is the very same desire and love Now he will obey Jesus. Because Jesus taught his disciples, if you love me, what will you do? You will keep my commandments. It's a willingness out of love and desire for Jesus. This man obeyed obeyed Jesus' command, even when he could not get what he desired. I think this this is a true glimpse of our discipleship with Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. There will be times, often, even when we desire the good things for God and His kingdom, where those doors will just not open. Maybe we want to serve our church in a certain way that we feel we're gifted and skilled at, but there's just not that option yet. Or maybe we want our friends and family members to be saved and, and we're asking for those opportunities where they're just open and willing to hear from us, but that just not ha- that hasn't happened yet. It's just dismissal after dismissal. But when we long for something good, even for God's kingdom, I pray that our hearts will not lessen in our love and desire for Jesus. But all the more, with that same desire to love, same desire to obey, same desire as we ask Jesus, may our hearts continue to love, remain in in loving Jesus, and obeying even when some of those doors don't open, whatever that may be for you. We also see the power of a personal testimony of experiencing Jesus' power and authority and how Jesus uses such a testimony in his plan of salvation to reach the lost. If we put ourselves in the shoes of this man, This man just saw the entire city and country of his own people reject Jesus. They asked him to leave, and Jesus left. So we can imagine him thinking, Jesus, what do you want me to do? You expect me to keep talking about you to these very people who once rejected me from their society. And now I saw how they rejected you to your face. What is it you want me to do? Jesus says, go, proclaim, return to your home, declare how much God has done for you. And so with great love and with great faith, even to the people who rejected him, even to the people who rejected Jesus, he goes on proclaiming faithfully. As we close, we also share this same testimony and we also share this same commission as this man. We may not have been possessed by many demons, but we too were enslaved by sin and the evil desires of our flesh. But while we were still dead, while we were still defiant, Jesus sought us out. When we were helpless to those evil temptations and defenseless before God's holy judgment, Jesus came to us. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived. He died the death we should have died so that he would be our sacrifice, taking on our sins, and we would become his righteousness. And for those of us who, who cherish and treasure what Christ has done for us, we will joyfully and gladly say, Lord, who else, what other option do I have? Who else will I run to? We, have, we will joyfully and gladly surrender our lives in obedience to him. And through our testimony, through our proclamation of how much Jesus has done for us, we hope and we pray that many more will come to this this saving knowledge and come to surrender their lives wholly to Christ as well. I hope this also alleviates some of the pressure of our responsibility to evangelize people around us. We don't need to be scholars We don't need to be theologians. We just need to be a disciple who is willing to follow Jesus Christ, obey him at his word, out of great love for him, and we share what Christ has done for us. And by faith, Jesus will use these testimonies to make himself known and to bring glory to himself as he saves for himself people, more and more people out of the realm of darkness into his marvelous light. A few more ways that we can apply as we close God's word to, um, to our lives this week. I'll offer three ways. First, as you look to the gospel, as you recall what Christ has done for you, take comfort in Jesus' power to save you and his pursuit to know you. I pray this is something that we never take for granted. But as we take in the gospel for ourselves once again, as we see what Christ has gone through so that he could save us, I pray there will be great encouragement that he is in his great authority, in his great, in his sovereignty, he came seeking us out to be in a relationship with him, an intimate personal relationship with him. Second, consider and confess the areas of life where you are defying or dreading Jesus. I know those words are a little bit strong But if we think about those areas where we are resistant to obeying Jesus, some of the commands we feel like we can. Some of the commands of Jesus Christ, it's just too difficult. It's just too hard. Consider those areas and confess to Jesus. Confess where you are dreading just what what a life of surrender might be like if if you actually surrendered those comforts or if you actually surrendered that sources of stability or security in your life as you're dealing with that that fear of what kind of life that might be, I pray that you would also confess and go to Jesus. And I pray Jesus will show you in those times that living for him is, is greater than any other life. He is the source greater than any other source of stability, of security for you. And lastly, as you do these things, craft a personal testimony of how much Jesus has done for you. It can start with how much Jesus has done for me. You could even title it that way and fill in the details. Talk about how Jesus, include in there as you talk about how Jesus pursued you even when you didn't seek him out. Put in explanations in there how you were defying or dreading Jesus, how you were resisting to obey him, how you were fearful of surrendering your life, your comforts, but how the gospel transformed your heart and what he has done to save you and share about how Jesus Christ can do the same in the lives of your listeners. We don't have to be missionaries to do this. Because just like this man, right after our Sunday celebration ends, as we go, where will we go? We'll go back to our homes. We'll go back to our city. And just like this man's testimony, he's calling us to proclaim how much he has done for us. And as you do, by faith, I believe he'll grant you those opportunities. And what a joy it will be as you share and you see lives that are transforming before your very eyes. Saved out of darkness into his marvelous light. And may that continue to, fulfill, continue to fill our joy, our hope in Christ together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So as we close, we've been talking about demons Yes, they exist, but don't give them too much power. Because even in this t- today's text, this great army of demons have been reduced down to a lesson for us to trust in his power and his sovereignty. Jesus alone is sovereign. And I pray that we see that the only proper, faithful response is to humble ourselves, surrender our lives for his, for his, for his purposes and his glory, and to proclaim his worth to everyone around us. So the one thing again, respond to Jesus' saving power and sovereign authority by proclaiming, see how much Jesus has done for me. Can we all stand together as we close? I'll pray for us, and then I'll invite Pastor Eric to lead us in response. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truths that you have made available for us in your word today even in this mysterious complex topic of of demons and evil forces in the spiritual realm but I pray Lord as we have learned today that this knowledge and information actually helps us to to greater faith in you to see that you alone are the supreme, sovereign authority over all the world, over all of our lives. And that you are powerful and mighty to save us from our sin, to save us from our wickedness and our evil, to transform even the hardest of hearts that would defy you, that would reject you, that would fear you and part ways with you. So, I pray that we'll also just grow in cherishing and treasuring the work of salvation you have accomplished in us. And like this man, maybe we respond to you with great love and desire for you. That out of our love, we would obey. Not obeying to receive your love, but we already have been loved, greatly loved, and greatly pursued. And so, in response, help us to obey. Help us to surrender. Help us to live for you. Help us to proclaim who you are so that many more souls will be saved out of the darkness and into your life. So have your way in us and help us to respond as you lead us, Lord. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen. As we just heard God's word preached, um, I want us to think about who in this passage do we, do we relate with? Are we like the demons that defiantly say, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? I have no part in you. You have no part in me. Do you relate with the people of the town where they just say they saw what he did and just get away from us, like depart from us? It's too costly to follow you? No, Jesus, not in that area of my life. Or do you relate with the demoniac who is liberated, who then desires to draw near to Jesus, who's willing to proclaim him to those who he was once an outcast to, to those who he just saw reject him? You know, the only way that we will become like that third person that where we desire Jesus, where we de- are willing to proclaim Him, willing to live for him in every area of our lives is when we recognize how much Jesus has done for us. That we were once enslaved to sin, we were once deserving of God's wrath, yet Jesus went to the cross for us. He saved us from our sin. He saved us from God's wrath. He gave us new life. We are now adopted as sons and daughters. That's the only thing that will enable us to let go of these petty things, temporal things in life and desire to live for him. You know, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm glad that you're here today, and I just encourage you to, if you you look at this demoniac who is liberated, if that's what Jesus can do, if that is indeed what he has done, not only for this man, but what he offers for all of us who would come to him in repentance and faith, salvation to the uttermost, and begin to ask God, I want to get to know you, Jesus. If this is really you, help me to know you. And I believe that that's a prayer that God will answer and perhaps share with some people around you. And I know that they will help you to learn more about him. And for all of us, let's respond by just examining this passage. Who do you relate with? And beginning to ask God for the grace to recognize again what he has done for us. May that be the motivation, empowerment, to desire to be with him and to have the strength to proclaim him to all around us. Let's pray.